I want you to remain standing. I want to read the word to you this morning from the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. 61, and this is a prophecy concerning Jesus, and in one in which Matthew, both Matthew and Luke would repeat concerning Jesus. And it begins this way, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn and to console all who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen. And that's why we're here this morning, to glorify God and to lift his name up and exalt him. Would you, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity of worship and the, uh, <clears throat> and the privilege to lift up the name of Jesus Father, we praise you this morning. We glorify the name of the Lord today. And, and Father, in this house, I pray that the presence of the Lord would be evident. And, and God, you would be strong in behalf of every person in here. Father, whether there is sorrow or sickness or sadness or whatever it might be, Father, I pray that you are going to lift the hearts of every person here. You are going to speak clearly into their minds and into their spirit. Father, I pray that you'll touch us as never before. Lord, we thank you for the word of God and let this word penetrate into our mind and into our hearts. And as a result, may faith come alive in our lives. And so we thank you for this opportunity of worship today. We give you our praise in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. I, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. This is a message that uh, really uh, I think was strongly birthed in my heart a couple weeks ago and I began to write some notes. You'll notice this morning I do not have my trustworthy notebook that I have carried with me. Black notebook, impossible to find. They don't even make them anymore. That's because I bought this thing 42 years ago. I keep repairing it with tape. Someday it will retire and when it retires, it will fall to pieces. Just It'll be in six or seven pieces. Today i using this, and that's because, simply because my computer failed. And it failed spectacularly. And um, I also have some story about that, which I will share perhaps next week. And uh, depends on just how this week goes. And so yesterday I found myself uh, about noon thinking, okay, uh, there, it's clear that I'm not going to be typing my notes. Joan has a computer that I used uh, to type notes for LifeGate. And it took me, I don't know how long to use that thing. It's so bad. <laughs> it is so terrible. She needs <laughs> Now that you brought it up, Charles, would you mind... Come on, buddy. 
fork it over. That is something you should not have said. So anyway, I decided, look, I am not going to endure that thing anymore. I just, you know, your sanctification is important. And I just, I, you know, I, uh, I just don't want to lose any sanctification over a machine. So I hand wrote these notes. And then I decided, no, I'm not going to do it like I know. So anyway, there they are. We should frame these things because it's literally the first time I've ever done it. But uh, anyway, I want to read my text to you this morning from Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they sent out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all of the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. That would be about 3,000 yards. or th I'm sorry, about 3,000 feet in our vernacular. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. The day after tomorrow, we turn the calendar for good. From the old 2018 to 2019, and I tell you this, we have not passed that way before. This is an important message, I guess, from my particular standpoint, and I believe also for the church, because there are going to be things that God is going to be speaking to us and doing through us and in us in 2019 that simply says we have never been this way before, and so it's going to be a change. Changes are ahead. You know, Israel, I got to thinking about this uh, yesterday. Israel is a strange nation. Strange. They are a very peculiar bunch of people. And I don't mean peculiar in the sense that we are called peculiar by Peter. I'm talking about peculiar in the sense that this was a group of people that are very hard to satisfy very difficult. They would not listen all that well to what God was instructing them to do. They seemed like they had some very selective hearing, if not deafness, in what God desired. But they were God's choice. God chose them. And you can go back to Genesis chapter 12, and God is speaking to Abraham there, and God very specifically says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And if you remember, Abraham and Sarah were married, but they had no children at that point. But God says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And then he goes on and says something further. He says, and this is very important to us here in our particular modern era, he says, the people that bless Israel, I'm going to bless. Those who would dare curse my people, Israel, they will receive my curse. 
That's called the Abrahamic covenant, and it has not changed. It is still valid. It is still in effect today. That is why it's important for us to be a blessing to national Israel today. But these were a grumbling bunch of people. Now, I want you to understand, they had just been delivered from their Egyptian captors. And it was a miraculous deliverance all of the way. They had 10 plagues that were foisted on the people of Egypt. And finally, after the last one, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, get out of here. And they did. They left. But trouble began almost right away. They found themselves bucked up against the Red Sea. They found themselves facing Pharaoh's army coming from the other direction. And now they've got trouble. They are caught between two forces, two objects that was going to destroy them. And yet God stepped in. And the Bible says he opened the sea. These people, this entire nation of several million people now, walked through that sea on dry ground. That would have been a spectacular moment for anybody. But they walked through that ocean. They walked through on dry ground. They wound up in the Sinai Peninsula. And their enemy, Egypt, was drowned. But they were grumbling. Moses, Joshua, Caleb... They're here at this moment and the people are grumbling. They're finding fault. Some of them were saying, we miss our old Egyptian jobs. Pain to God. There had to be a pain. To put it in the way we talk. What a pain. And to Moses, I don't know if Moses ever really figured them out all that well. Because he was constantly being confronted with their grumbling and their fault finding. And they're saying here, they had a habit of forgetting the whips of the Egyptians. They had a habit of forgetting the mud pits. They had a habit of forgetting the back-breaking, monotonous, never-ending labor of making bricks. And they did this for hundreds of years. And God has now delivered them. They complained about the water. I read something one day about the water that might be necessary to care for two to three million people in the Sinai Desert, and it's staggering. We're talking hundreds of, of tank car, train tank cars of water per day. Now, of course, there were no railroads. There were no tank cars. And yet God miraculously provided for their water. The same for food. God provided for food for this entire group of people. They got hungry, so God says, okay, I'm going to send some quail your way, which would be kind of like chicken. And so you're going to get Chick-fil-A tonight. <laughs> and he did. He sent it to them. And they thought, this is really great, but uh, we, we, need to, we need to set some of this aside because, you know, we want to make sure we have enough today. Well, get this. They set a bunch of it aside, and you know what happened? It rotted. Can you imagine the stink? No wonder they had to keep moving. They had all this rotten quail here. 
Well, then God says, okay, I'm going to send manna from heaven. And you have to go out every day. You have to get it. Somehow they had to pick it up off the ground, this manna, that was supernaturally provided from heaven to them. And they could eat it and they could enjoy it. And they thought again, well, wait, we better save some of this stuff, uh, you know, just in case. And that also spoiled. There's a lesson here, and it's a very important, powerful lesson, and I want you to know it. God has called us to walk by faith. Faith means you don't necessarily store it all up because of the rainy day tomorrow. Faith says that I'm going to trust God tomorrow for what my needs are. God wants us to learn that, and he wanted his people to learn that. You know, that's very important because these people never had to walk by faith. They didn't know what faith was. They didn't understand faith at all. And so God is teaching them these important, critical lessons that they needed to know and understand in the years that were going to be coming to them. And so teaching this faith, all of these things, and yet... They were complaining. Moses led them into the Sinai Desert to a place that we know as Mount Sinai today. Moses referred to it often as the mountain of God. And truly it was the mountain of God. And the people of God encamped around this tremendous mountain peak in the middle of the desert. And, I, and God said, I want you to invite the people to come up. I want to talk to them. Well, on top of this mountain, this mountain was actually covered with clouds and things like this. And out of the clouds was lightnings and thunders and everything like this. And the people said, no, we're not going up there. Moses, you go up. You see what God wants. We're going to stay down here where it's nice and safe. So that was the deal. Moses went up. And while he was up there for 40 days, God was giving him what we know as the Ten Commandments at that time. Down below in the valley, the people of God, God's people, God's people. God's people that were a pain said, you know, this God up on top of the mountain has got this lightning and thunder, and we're kind of scared of this God. Let's make one down here. And that's what they did. Moses came down off that mountain. He saw what was going on. God saw what was going on, too, and decided to end it in a very spectacular way by simply opening up the ground, and several thousand people fell into a, into a bottomless pit. And that had to send a shockwave through the whole camp. That you don't get idols out. You don't worship these things. And yet they complained. And so the journey continued on to this little place that we know in the Bible called Kadesh Barnea. What it was is essentially a line in the sand, if you will. It was the border between Sinai and the Promised Land. All they had to do was walk over the border. That's all they had to do. That's it. And yet the grumbling and the complaining continued, and there arose such a clatter, if you will. And they convinced Moses to send out spies 
We want to see this land. We want them to go check it out for us before we take this step of faith. Well, suddenly this wasn't really all much of a step of faith anymore. And they came back with an interesting report, a report of conflict. Because he said, this is a wonderful land. It is a fertile land. It is a, <clears throat> it is a land that uh, is productive. It has abundance. All of these things. Yet, now after saying it's an abundant, fertile, wonderful, productive land, then they said, it's a desolate land. Well, you can't have both. That's like trying to farm the Sonoran Desert in western Arizona. You're not going to get anything out of that. Plus, he said, you know what? There are giants in the land, big people. There are walled cities. They frightened us. And we, in their self-assessment, we felt like grasshoppers. And you've heard me say this. If you feel like a grasshopper, you are a grasshopper. Their self-assessment said, we can't do this. Caleb and Joshua were of a different stripe. Caleb and Joshua says, oh, no, 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 you got this all wrong. God said, God said, we are going to go. It is his land. He's giving it to us. He has said, I'll go before you. I'll fight your battles for you. I'll protect you. They had already had experiences with this of God providing for their needs. God speaking to them. All of these things. Yet the people became angry. And the Bible says this was a precarious moment. The whole nation was hanging on a thread. The whole nation. God became indignant at these people, and rightfully so. He told Moses, he said, Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to just start over. I've had it. These people have been in pain long enough, and I'm done with them. I want to find somebody else to start working with, and they're gone. And Moses said this, and it's a spectacular word that he shares for us in Exodus chapter 33. And toward the end of the chapter, let me read something to you. Moses said this in Exodus 33, 15. He said, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? We shall be separate. Your people and I from the people who are upon the face of the earth. And God said to Moses, you have found grace in my sight. I'm not going to do this. The rest of the people, with the exception of Moses, Caleb, and Joshua, all of their graves are found in the desert. That generation died. Their children, though, lived on. The rest were buried in the desert. Forty years later, we come to my text this morning in Joshua chapter 3. Once again, Caleb and Joshua are the main players here. The ark. 
The ark represents God. It represents his covenant promises. It represents the power of Almighty God. And God said, as the ark moves, then you need to move with the ark. If we're to move forward, ladies and gentlemen, if we're to move forward in our walk with the Lord, it's only possible if we are guided by God. We need to have confidence in God. We need to be able to cooperate with God and what God is wanting us to do. Let me tell you something. Faith is an action word. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, 11 and verse 1, and you should all know this one. Now faith is the substance, substance, substance. It's stuff you can, you can grab onto, substance. It's a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And a failure to obey God in faith. Let me, let me just illustrate this a little bit. Here's Kadesh Barnea. People of God came up to it and said, no, I'm not going over there. Walled cities, giant people, desolate, all of this stuff, I'm not going back up there. God says, fine, go ahead, wander in the desert. So they're out here wandering around in the desert. 40 years, just milling around in the desert. 40 years. Now, believe it or not, during that 40-year period, God still provided them with food and water. And the Bible says their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. Why? Because God was supernaturally providing for them. But you know what? Wherever you say no to God at that point, when you say, no, I won't go beyond here, that's when God says, fine, wander, mill around. But when you decide to obey God, guess what? You come back to this point again. It would have been so easy to walk over that line in the desert to take a few steps. We're in the promised land. And God says, fine, we'll do this again. But this time we're changing a few things. This time you're going to cross the Jordan River. This time it's during the spring flood season. And the Jordan swells out and rises. It becomes a fast-moving river. This time it's a little different. This time this river is going to stop when the soles of your feet of the priests touch the water. And can't you feel it? That water swirling around their ankles? And they're thinking, this has got to work. This has got to work. And all of a sudden, that water backs up. The ground dries. And the trumpet of God is blown. The ark is carried to the middle of that raging river. And the instructions was, stay at least 3,000 feet away from that ark. Don't get closer. And there's two reasons for that. One, that ark represented Almighty God. 
And I believe, I believe Moses was saying, look, I want to make sure everybody can see that ark. I want to make sure everybody can view that ark. And you can't if you're just going to crowd up around it. You're going to cut off the view. The second thing is, you don't mess around with God. You just don't fool around with God. He's not your old slap-happy buddy. I had to say that because of the computer remark I made. But God is to be respected, to be honored, to be known as a God of holiness, of righteousness, of purity. And so the ark would go before him. And the Bible says, supernaturally, the waters open up and two to three million people again cross that river into the promised land. And I always think it's kind of funny. Just sort of God's poetic justice. One of their first obstacles was Jericho, and guess what? There's that walled city. Sure enough, those, those spies were right. But that walled city was no problem for God because God was going to show them, this is how you collapse walls, by marching around it blowing trumpets, shouting praise to God, and the walls collapse. You don't need an excavator. You don't need a bobcat. You don't need anything. God collapses the walls. God takes care of the enemy. And all of these things that work <coughs> in our lives. Faith is action. Three things here I want you to note in particular about this story. First of all, the Bible says that God brought us here. Don't forget this. God brought us here. Second thing, he will keep us and preserve us here. The third thing, he will take us from here to the next place he wants us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is important for the church. God has brought us here. He is keeping us here. And wherever he leads, he will be there when we get there. The only thing that can confuse that and make a mess out of that is if we say, no, I don't want to do that. I like camping out here. I like the comfort. I like the serenity. I like the fact that it's easy to come to church. I like that. And I don't want to go further. But I'm telling you something today. God's New Testament church, and I'm talking about the real church. I'm not talking about these other churches. I, I, I just dismiss them. His church, filled with his people that are called by his name, are going to honor him by being obedient to him. And when he says go, like the cloud that covered that entire nation in the desert, a cloud, the hot desert, the, 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 the penetrating heat of the sun, and yet a cloud covered them. 
When the cloud moved, the people of God moved. When the pillar of fire at night, when it moved, the people of God moved. And these are the things that we watch for. These are the things that we walk, <clears throat> that we walk carefully in. Three aspects that, I, that I'm going to draw out of this as I close. My confidence is totally in God, and I hope yours is too. It's not holding on to the riverbank. That was the problem at Kadesh Barnea. We're going to hold back here because we're safe here. No more safety. Riverbank. We're heading for the other side. We're, waiting for, we're not going to wait for the dry season. You know, if they had a committee, if they had a committee to make that decision, you, oh my God. The committee would have said, well, let's wait for the dry season before we go across. Because the Jordan River is only a couple, six or eight or ten yards wide. We can jump on that. Or the committee would have said, well, wait a minute. I think the town is going to build a bridge up here. And in five years, that bridge will be ready. We'll go across then. God does not work by committee. God works by command. Command, this is my way. Walk in it. Walk in it. He doesn't ask the committee to debate it. He asks us to obey it. Walk in it. Walk in it. Number two. Joshua did not focus on the flood. In the opening verses here, Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Acacia. They came to Jordan. And uh, they were going to cross over here. You notice he didn't even talk about the river. He didn't talk about the flood. He didn't talk about any of this stuff, any of the obstacles or any of these things. The foot touched the water. There was no hesitation. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, I want you to fold up your tents this morning and you're not going to put them down again until we get on the other side. This is the last time you've opened your tents in the wilderness. This is it. We're going over there. That was Joshua's word. It takes steps of faith. It takes man and God cooperating, and there's courage connected with this. This is the last time in the wilderness. And number three, I'm ready. <clears throat> I'm ready to move forward out of my little tent, out of my little personal security, out of my familiar, out of my comfort, out of my cozy location to a whole new situation that God says, this is my land for you, and I'm giving it to you. Go in and possess it. I'm going to tell you today, Dolly, could you come back, please? <clears throat> I'm going to tell you this. If you will do this, you'll find Christ totally trustworthy. Of everything he said he was going to do, he will do. He keeps these promises. He enables us to move forward with confidence confidence, not in our own ability. My heaven's sakes, no. Confidence in the, because we have a nice fat bank account, please, please, don't be ridiculous. He moves us forward because of our confidence in him and him alone. Just him. Just him. Just the Lord. Try him. Discover new ground with God.
Joshua says something in verse uh, 4, the last part of verse 4, that I want to remind you of again. You have not passed this way before. And that is true. That is true. I've been in the church business a long time. I've watched churches that parked it right here. I know a lot of them. And you know what? You go back 10 years from now, they're right here. They've done nothing. They've done nothing except decline. And they wonder why they're declining. Why they aren't going forward. This is, this is simple and it's supernatural. It's God. Now don't come up and tell me, well, this is a tough community, Pastor. You just don't know the people here. They don't like God and they don't like churches and all this baloney. And then some young guy comes in and says, I think I'll wear, rent the warehouse down the street here and start a church. And the next thing you know, I got a church going. But I didn't think they liked God here. They do. This is why I love what's happening at LifeGate. Because we, we don't know where we're going next. That makes me nervous. I don't want to be like Israel and become obstinate and say, you know, we're parking here, we're parking here. We're not doing that. I was hesitating to share this with you. Two Sunday, uh, Saturdays ago, we were sitting in a restaurant after the service. And I didn't see this, I did not witness this, but a man came in who knew a man, I know this sounds a little vague, pardon me, who knew a man that attended LifeGate. And he says, I've got trouble. My wife wants to commit suicide. This man took off immediately and they found his wife. She had not done it, but she was ready to go. He convinced her, prayed with her, put her in his car, took her to the hospital. And to the glory of God. She and her husband were in church last night, sitting in the second row. And I talked to her afterwards, and I'm telling you, she just went up and latched onto me like I was one of her kids. And she said, you don't know what happened tonight. That has changed my life. And the reason I'm saying this is because you, right here, you are a part of that life change. That thing wouldn't exist without you. You understand that? That's what parents do. You're a parent. It wouldn't happen without you. That's new ground going to be new ground for them we're following up and all kinds of things
And that happens frequently. So I thank God. That is what you must never lose sight of. You must never, never, never lose sight of. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the eternal word of God and how this word speaks into our hearts and our lives. A word that once it is spoken will not return void. A word that must be spoken in faith. A word that has, that brings us confidence that God is able to do what God has said he is able to do. So Father, I pray today that uh, as we approach a brand new year, I pray that we would remember that it is God who goes before us. It is God who beckons us to follow him. Whether this is unknown territory or something familiar, whatever it might be, Father, we go at your calling and at your command. Father, I pray that in our own lives, in our own lives, we would not be so tied, tied into a past, tied into the situations of our past, perhaps some of those may be, may be confusing, they may be errors, they may be disappointments, they may be the, just the fact that we just simply stumbled and fell and never got up until today. Father, I pray that you'll mark out new paths, paths of hope, paths of faith and confidence in God. So, Father, today, let the blessing of God flow richly in people's lives. Let the transformation of the gospel speak into people's hearts, even this morning. I'm praying that somebody here in this room today, that here in church, maybe as a guest and maybe as maybe kind of regular with us, but you recognize something this morning and you recognize that a void in your life can only be filled with God. It can only be filled as we open our hearts to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So for you, for that one person, or maybe many, for you, I'm asking you to pray along with me, beginning right now. Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Forgive the things that I've disappointed you in. Forgive the things that... I've just simply done bad. Forgive all of that. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Bring forgiveness. Bring new hope. I believe you died for me on a cross called Calvary. I believe you rose from the dead. Today I open my heart. I want you to take full control of my life. Govern my life. Be the Savior and Lord of my life. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.